expression of emotion, and emotion speaks a language that all may understand. But I will allow that the critic, who has not a practical knowledge of technique, is seldom able to say anything on the subject of real value, and my ignorance of painting is extreme. Fortunately, there is no need for me to risk the adventure, since my friend Mr. Edward Leggett, an able writer as well as an admirable painter, has exhaustively discussed Charles Strickland's work in his little book, A Modern Artist, Notes on the Work of Charles Strickland, by Edward Leggett, A.R.H.A., Martin Secker, 1917, which is a charming example of a style, for the most part, less happily cultivated in England than in France. Maurice Hure, in his famous article, gave an outline of Charles Strickland's life which was well calculated to whet the appetites of the inquiring. With his disinterested passion for art, he had a real desire to call the attention of the wise to a talent which was in the highest degree original, but he was too good a journalist to be unaware that the human interest would enable him more easily to effect his purpose. And when such as had come in contact with Strickland in the past, writers who had known him in London, painters who had met him in the cafés of Montmartre, discovered, to their amazement, that where they had seen but an unsuccessful artist like another, authentic genius had rubbed shoulders with them. There began to appear in the magazines of France and America a succession of articles, the reminiscences of one, the appreciation of another, which added to Strickland's notoriety, and fed without satisfying the curiosity of the public. The subject was grateful and the industrious Weitbrecht Rotholz, in his imposing monograph, Karl Strickland, Sein Leben und Sein Kunst, by Hugo Weitbrecht Rotholz, Ph.D., Schwingel und Hansisch, Leipzig, 1914, had been able to give a remarkable list of authorities. The faculty for myth is innate in the human race. It seizes with avidity upon any incidents, surprising or mysterious, in the career of those who have at all distinguished themselves from their fellows, and invents a legend to which it then attaches a fanatical belief. It is the protest of romance against the commonplace of life. The incidents of the legend become the hero's surest passport to immortality. The ironic philosopher reflects with a smile that Sir Walter Raleigh is more safely enshrined in the memory of mankind, because he set his cloak for the Virgin Queen to walk on, than because he carried the English name to undiscovered countries. Charles Strickland lived obscurely. He made enemies rather than friends. It is not strange, then, that those who wrote of him should have eked out their scanty recollections with a lively fancy, and it is evident that there was enough in the little that was known of him to give opportunity to the romantic scribe. There was much in his life which was strange and terrible, in his character something outrageous, and in his fate not a little that was pathetic. In due course a legend arose of such circumstantiality that the wise historian would hesitate to attack it. But a wise historian is precisely what the Reverend Robert Strickland is not. He wrote his biography, Strickland, the Man and His Work, by his son Robert Strickland, William Heinemann, 1913, avowedly to remove certain misconceptions which had gained currency in regard to the latter part of his father's life, and which had caused considerable pain to persons still living. 
It is obvious that there was much in the commonly received account of Strickland's life to embarrass a respectable family. I have read this work with a good deal of amusement, and upon this I congratulate myself, since it is colourless and dull. Mr. Strickland has drawn the portrait of an excellent husband and father, a man of kindly temper, industrious habits, and moral disposition. The modern clergyman has acquired in his study of the science, which I believe is called exegesis, an astonishing facility for explaining things away. But the subtlety with which the Reverend Robert Strickland has interpreted all the facts in his father's life, which a beautiful son might find it inconvenient to remember, must surely lead him in the fullness of time to the highest dignities of the Church. I see already his muscular calves encased in the gaiters episcopal. It was a hazardous, though maybe a gallant thing to do, since it is probable that the legend commonly received has had no small share in the growth of Strickland's reputation.